Hello, my friend. I'm Nat Fox, and welcome to the Risk Takers podcast. In 2012, I took a risk, resigned from my job, which was very scary, and I asked myself, what would I do for free? What would I love to do even if I wasn't getting paid? My answer was traveling, writing, and encouraging people. Now, I had many moments of freaking out, of course, but this led me off the beaten path and to become curious, to ask questions, and I ended up becoming a travel writer, a tour guide to Alaska. I moved to Hong Kong, Boston, and New York twice, all without knowing a soul. I wrote a mentoring program. I became a radio host. And each of these things have one thing in common. I took a massive risk. I've had my fair share of challenges as we all have. I've faced pain and failure, and I'll share more of these stories as we go along. But I wanted to create this platform for some of the biggest dreamers and creative minds to come and share their stories as well, to encourage us all. Because when we're little, we took risks and we dreamt so big, and somewhere along the way, we kind of lost that part of ourselves. And so I would love to encourage us all to bring that part of us back, to awaken that part of us. And so that's what this podcast is all about, to remind us who we we truly are, how brave and uniquely special we are, and that we all have something beautiful to bring this world. So I'm on a mission to inspire 1 million people to take the risk they've always dreamed of. Welcome to the Risk Takers podcast. I'm cheering you on and here's today's episode. Love you. My very special guest today is Jess Rufus. She's the founder of Collabosaurus, the matchmaking platform for brands and businesses designed to make collaboration easier. Now, in many other episodes, I've talked about the power of collaboration and the beauty of what you can create when you join forces and do something together. So this conversation is going to be so wonderful. Jess is a PR and marketing queen with a background in fashion, publicity and marketing education. She found herself frustrated finding authentic and cool brand partnerships. So in 2015, with a passion for people and building connections, she bit the bullet, took a risk and launched her own company, Collabosaurus. This baby of hers has now attracted over 7,500 brands, including Porsche, ASOS, Pinterest, The Iconic, Olay, Topshop and one of the largest global retailers in the US. Jess won the 2019 B&T 30 Under 30 Award in Entrepreneurship, which is a massive achievement. She's spoken for Apple, Vogue, General Assembly, ADMA, the College of Event Management, and she's the host of the Stop, Collaborate and Listen podcast. I've loved following her story over the last five years and all the huge and courageous risks she's taken and people she's impacted. You're going to love her. Jess Rufus, welcome to the Risk Takers podcast. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I sound really busy based on that, on that intro. I'm like, wow. Oh, I got a lot going on. <laughs> Sometimes it's nice to hear all the things written back to you, and you're like, oh, it's, well, very- it's, it's amazing to me that it's been, you know, five to six years of running this business. It's gone really fast. Yeah. And uh, actually, funny to start with, we, you and I met on Instagram five years about yeah. five years ago, and I was looking up our conversation, just, you know, the conversations we've had over the years, and 2013. Uh, sorry, 2017, you sent me a note. I think it must have been when I was in Italy. And it said, when you get to Santa Marg, there's this little bar that's halfway up a driveway. There's an incredible view. The, the guy brings Did you, you antipasto. I love that place. <laughs> I love that place so much. I have such fond memories. Oh, I miss travel. Oh, I know. Same. But 2017. I know that was huh? 2017. That was like this, yeah, middle of this year. It'll be four years ago. Oh, my goodness. So much has happened. Oh, I can't wait to hear to dig into hear your story. I know we have so much to talk about. So yeah, your story is incredible. But I want to start back, kind of rewind back to I love asking this question: childhood. Mm. What was little you like? Were you a risk taker when you were younger? Um, that's a good question. I don't. I think I was a bit. Uh, yeah, to a degree, I was a bit. I wasn't like a daredevil risk taker, but I was definitely a headstrong if I got an idea in my head I would do it so you know like when I was five or six years old I convinced my mom I wanted to do you know an art stand outside the local deli and sell my artwork and you know I'm five so the artwork's pretty terrible but so entrepreneurial yeah and I mean outside my grandparents had this little house in the Blue Mountains that we'd go up to for Easter you know getaways and stuff like that but it was in the middle of nowhere like there's not it's not a high traffic street or anything Mm. (laughs) I'd set up a lemonade stand (laughs) out there so I was always running like shops and things which I think is interesting looking back I loved that those kinds of games so I suppose yeah quite entrepreneurial from a young age and then I loved um through high school and stuff everything drama and acting and theater and I sort of started out my career in film actually off the back of that and 
I did script writing. I did all kinds of different things. I, I really wanted to work in sort of film and theatre. That was a mm. passion of mine. Sounds like you've, it's like you're a portfolio type person, like with similar to me, with so many different passions, but you could actually have gone down so many different paths. Like you could have. Oh, absolutely. I know. I look back and just go, wow, imagine if I if I hadn't had that one conversation with that one producer and mm-hmm. it steered me down the PR path. Yeah. You know, I could have been in living a very different life. Yeah. So how did you get into PR? Um, I was doing a bunch of work experience placements in film. I was lucky enough to um, get on the set of The Great Gatsby. I totally lied my way onto that set. I pretended I was from a different university, Mm -hmm. long story, (laughs) which was amazing. And I got to work on some uh, music video sets and stuff like that as well. But one of the producers at um, this music video set basically sat me down and said, you know, what do you want to be doing in film? And she was basically an incredible mentor to me at the time. I told her what I wanted to be doing and she said, okay, well, you won't be able to do that in Australia, not without a really significant career behind you. You'll need to go over to the States. It's going to be a long time before you start making money. It's like a big hustle. You know, you've got to network your ass off and go live in LA for Mm. a while. And I didn't really want to do that at the time. And so I ended up um, sort of falling into another subject at uni while all of this was going on. And it was a um, PR subject that was run by a woman who was still working in the industry in fashion PR. And she was just such a like hustler, ambitious go-getter. And I loved her. She ran the most interesting lectures and tutorials where everyone was really involved. And I don't know, I just really liked that subject. And I had this glorified picture in my head of what fashion PR was going to be like and my first job out of uni was at a boutique fashion PR firm and um, I very very quickly realized that the reality (laughs) is very different to what I thought it was going to be like and I felt like a fish out of water in fashion PR. Yeah but I'm sure knowing your personality type and knowing how you so you know sort of take every opportunity and kind of make it your own you would have been very creative very um you know took a lot of initiative to make things work oh definitely I mean I was I tried my hardest and I was a go-getter and I was working stupid hours Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff but um I was very um stressed out I would Mm. say um and I didn't feel like I fit in as yeah. opposed to that scene because I wasn't particularly interested in fashion to be honest I was more interested in marketing the sort of marketing side of things but you know you needed a balance of both and there was a big pressure you know to wear things like stilettos and yeah <laughs> look fantastic all the time and I was like oh it was like devil wears Prada yeah I was life. thinking I was that actually like, when you were so sharing that person. yeah <laughs> carrying exactly. the coffees getting the steak but it's it's great how you can then take I mean, obviously you've learned, you learned so much through uni, even just that unique experience through her, through that lecturer and just what you learned and took through that. Oh, I mean, I look back and I think, oh my gosh, everything I thought I would never use has come into play. You know, I did a radio subject and thought this is a bit of fun, but I will never need to know how to edit audio and all that kind of stuff. And now I run two podcasts, so jokes on me, like... And then we did, I did video subjects and writing subjects. And I use that stuff every day with Collabosaurus, you know, from creating ads to and ad campaigns and stuff like that through to writing press releases and copy for marketing stuff. It's, it's all super useful. It's sort of come full circle. Mm. And I mean, theater and everything and acting. I mean, I'm so glad I'm not petrified of public speaking because yeah. I've needed to do that um, and been afforded so many amazing opportunities at events and things like that, that that served me really well as also. Yeah, nothing's wasted. Or you think at the time, what's this leading no. me to? But it's all, yeah, it's, and it's all your story, beautiful story being built. So take us back to, so you've been, you're in fashion PR and I listened to one of your interviews with, I forget who it was with, but it was just really interesting how you were doing, you know, organising all these collaborations, but you were saying how it just didn't have heart or there wasn't, you, they weren't being leveraged and they were just kind of ran, oh, let's get these freebies for this bag and event bag and goodie bag, da, da, da. But then when when you talk about collaboration, when you hear about these great collaborations, they're so, what you can create from that is so powerful. So how did you, what was the, the idea that sparked Collabosaurus back in the beginning. 
Yeah, well, I mean, the idea for Calabasaurus came, I think, over time. It was like one of those little snowballing things where in PR, I was on sort of the periphery of all of these brand collaborations that were happening. Happening, I would see them come together and, um, you know, I was subscribed to a thing called Social Diary, which still exists, and that was created as a newsletter platform for publicists to uh, make sure that none of their PR events clashed, basically. Mm. But what people were using that for was a notice board of publicist to publicist, basically people going, where can we get free coconut water? We need 200 units of free coconut water for this event. And it was just this horrible vibe around free stuff. When, you know, I go to some fashion shows and things like there was one of the first fashion shows I went to, which was a media showing for a new collection of what's and Watson, um, their line, they have a longstanding partnership with Victoria Coffee and that was just really well integrated and leveraged. You arrived and you got a coffee that had your name on it from Victoria and then they did a lot of like integration cross, integrated cross promotion as part of that campaign and it was so clever and I thought, oh, this is how collaborations should be. You know, it's not just taking a bunch of free stuff from a brand and then not actually heroing them in that opportunity to get in front of media. It's that win-win relationship and a a true collaboration and a successful collaboration has to be win-win for it to be. Um, for it to even work and be successful so I was kind of watching all of that happen and then when I left fashion PR and I went into a uh, small business marketing education company that was basically where we would take businesses through a 12-month course as to how to DIY their own marketing partnerships were a big part of that course but we were working with small businesses which was very different to my experience working with larger fashion companies around partnerships and encouraging them to do them but so many small businesses weren't doing them because they'd been taken advantage of in the past which was such a shame or they didn't know where to start or they were sending out emails that were terrible Mm. (laughs) and they weren't getting any responses back unsurprisingly so it was like one day I was working in this marketing company I was trying to pull together a collaboration for our event with a food company I was like oh you know I was just I was banging on about collaborations all the time at this job. And I was basically given the chance to just be like, well, if you want to set up collaborations, you go for it. Like you have free reign. So I started like trying to find cool brands that would get involved in goodie bags and all of that kind of stuff in a really leveraged way. And I just thought, oh my gosh, it's really hard to find these businesses. I was like, you know, pretty fresh in marketing. I didn't have a whole lot of contacts yet. So I was, you know, scraping Instagram and stuff like that to try and find cool, interesting businesses that, Um, would love the opportunity to get in front of our target market where we're bringing a few hundred um, people into the space and yeah that's kind of how it started and I thought oh my gosh tinder was becoming really popular and I thought why doesn't this exist for brand collaborations Mm. you know yeah swipe right for really cool um, marketing collaborations and that's I think where the idea sort of first started but that was at the beginning of 2014. Right so that's six years, seven, this year would be seven years ago. Yeah. So that was the idea spark. Wow. And it was like 3am in the morning. I thought I was a genius. I yep. was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be the next Mark Zuckerberg. I'm going to make millions of dollars. This is a killer idea. Yeah. I didn't tell anyone about it for like six months. <laughs> I yep. sat on it because I have huge shiny object syndrome where I just think <laughs> everything is awesome. <laughs> so I sat on it for a while and I was still really excited about it six months later. So I just, I had to do something. That's a good it. sign though, isn't it? Because you've, yeah. you've still well, got that like, passion. Yeah, well, it's like, you know, when you go shopping and you are you try on a dress, you're like, I really like that, but I'll think about it. And then you nonstop think about it yeah. for weeks and weeks. It's a sign you just, just buy the dress. Yeah, <laughs> yes. And what was, do you remember feeling that, because you think you've thought about it for six months and then you need to take a step and actually launch it. So what was that feeling? Were you thinking this is a massive risk or you were like, no, this is just this gut thing that I have to, I can't not do it. I really didn't. I had a crazy risk appetite then. I didn't sort of weigh the risks at all, which I think actually played into my favor that I went into it quite naive and young and (laughs) rose colored glasses for everything because it meant I didn't really know what I was in for. I mean, I was, I've always been a hustler and a hard worker, but I did not sort of think that it would take, you know, six years to get where we are today. Mm. Everything like that, I thought I'd be you know, uh, like have a full staff and everything like that from about three months in. So I was very naive in that sense. 
But um, oh, the feeling was just, I was excited. I was working away on it as like a side business to begin with. I was yep. still working full time and I just sort of plugged away at the idea. And um, the, one of the first people I told was my cousin who worked in tech. And I was like, well, this is my idea. What do you think? And he said, well, I think you need to get better at explaining what it is in like a one-liner. Because mm. I think I just waffled on forever about this thing that connected businesses together but then also PRs and also creatives and you know it just wasn't very clear so I think the first step was really distilling down exactly what it was that I wanted to create and also spark in the business community so I think in my head it was a lot simpler um than it actually was from a tech perspective well it always is isn't it and it's you have that idea and you think this is going to be the best, like this is going to help so many people. And yeah. And then when you launched it, your target. No one knew what collaborations were. Yeah. So you had to educate people. When I people. launched it, it was, yeah, I had to fully, I really underestimated having to educate the market. I thought mm. everyone would know how amazing brand collaborations are, what, you know, how to come up with collaboration ideas, what they would look like, what you could offer in a collaboration exchange, you know, how to spark that conversation and all that kind of stuff. No one knew any of that. In fact, collaboration marketing was only really something that was talked about with within the marketing community. I mean, even publicists didn't fully have their heads around how those were going to work and everything like that. So I think now it's very different. Collaborations have become really popular. People bigger brands are doing them. You can see them, you know, like there's Gucci and North Face have just collaborated and people know that collaboration and Mm. Airbnb and Barbie or Spotify and Uber teaming up and doing cool stuff together. Like there's a bunch of examples now out in market that are really recognizable, which is fantastic. But yeah, I launched with the wrong target market in (laughs) mind and I launched assuming everybody would know everything there is to know about brand collaboration. That's that's ballsy but good on you but you didn't think that at the time it and how was did- just naive. yeah I, I wouldn't say it was ballsy <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing <laughs> so how did you work out your the, the right target market when you switched um well it was really just you know there's such a difference between what people tell you they want and how people actually behave yeah. so I think purchasing behavior and you know behavior on the actual site is really important to watch if you're building a tech brand or an e-commerce brand as well. And really, you know, there's tools like Hotjar, for example, that record user sessions, just record their screen. So you can sit there as the founder and watch how people interact with your website, which is really Mm. fascinating. You know, what buttons get missed altogether or, you know, where they get lost or um, where they get frustrated and leave, you know, that kind of thing is really fascinating. But in my head, I was going to launch to publicists because that's where I I'd started. That's where I felt the problem. I got really frustrated and publicists, you know, they're managing sometimes like 50 brands within their portfolio who are all looking for event collaborators and social media collaborators and limited edition product collaborators to try and find, you know, newsworthy stories and things like that. So in my head, I was like, well, this was my problem. Surely it's a bunch of publicists problems. Mm. And I launched it um, Collabosaurus as a tool for publicists where the entire site was full of jargon that was PR specific. Um, you know, it was very for publicists and every PR friend I spoke to said, Oh my gosh, this sounds amazing. I'll absolutely be on top of that. And like for the first year on Collabosaurus, I reckon we didn't have a single PR client. We do now, but you know, all of our early users were small businesses. So that showed me very quickly that it was like, oh, hang on a second. The people who are actually taking action, actually interested in this and, you know, upgrading to subscriptions and things like that were all small business owners, which was very telling. Mm, that's so interesting. And then, I mean, that's what that's what you kind of think that you'll do anyway, kind of tweak your strategy based on reception. Um but I suppose when you've gone in, like having this gung-ho, yeah, this is going to be great, this is going to be so easy, and then it's just like, was that discouraging at all or were you just, you sort of took it in your stride? Oh, I was just onwards and upwards yeah. and let's, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's good to know and let's yeah. rebuild the site from scratch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it probably, um, right around that time, you know, there was a moment of complete doubt of, oh, have I made a really mm big mistake here and I've spent a lot of money already that I did not have and 
I mean, about a year in, um, the relationship I was in, you know, we had an apartment together and everything like that, that broke down and I was, you know, living back at my parents' place. I had no money. I was working in hospitality and I really thought about, oh, do I give this up now and go back and get a job in marketing? You know, Mm. it doesn't look like it's working, but um, it was around then. I mean, this is like such a, in hindsight, such a story. Yeah. Um, I got a call from Apple the day I was about to um, close close up shop for a little while. I got a call from Apple wondering if I was interested in speaking at an event. And I thought, oh my gosh, like if yeah. Apple know Collabosaurus, like it's worth sticking with. And I yep. gave myself another three months and kind of pushed on from there. And it's, I think, you, yeah, that resistance too, when you've, when you've, obviously spent so much of your heart and soul, put it all in there and then things get difficult and obviously you have, you know, personal issues and then you're juggling all these jobs and and you're doing everything on your own as well as an entrepreneur. You've got like Mm. every sort of area that you're you're specialising in. But then at the moment where you, yeah, you sort of feel like I can't do this anymore or it's amazing how encouragement comes or you get a message of, like to keep you on the right track. And I mean, getting an invitation from Apple, I mean, that's pretty good to speak. I know. <laughs> pretty and good it's encouragement. Like, you know, universe signs are such a thing. You know, every time I've thought about truly quitting, which is probably oh, three times over the course of the six years I've been running the business, like seriously considered quitting and giving it up, there have been like little universe signs that have been like, no, nah, I'm on the right track. I've, mm. got, to, I've got to give this you know, another, another yeah. shot. And whether that be customers as well. I mean, behavior says so much. And I really think money comes last, you know, there's, and I think big mistakes get made in with business owners who focus just on the cash rather than everything else. Because I think really, if you do do something really well with passion and you um, care about your customers and how it's going to pan out for them and add value, like the money comes definitely. Mm. And that's definitely been the case with Collabosaurus. Like I've been, you know, at the end of 2018, I'd been in the States for a while and, you know, I was out of money. I was burnt out. I was trying to raise a round of capital that didn't go ahead. And it was just exhausting. And I was just a shell (laughs) by myself. And there was no like real, we lost a huge chunk of our subscribers during that time. And so we didn't have consistent money coming in at all. But we had about 200 to 300 new signups every single month. And I thought, well, that's a behavior that's showing me it's worth, you know, yeah. like people are still interested in it. And that's completely organic. That was with no advertising spend, nothing. That mm. was just word of mouth. Yeah. And I was going to ask, that was, I was actually going to ask you about that in 2018. You were accepted to the Austrade landing pad in San Francisco, which is very amazing and inspiring and actually when I when I worked it out you and I were both in San Francisco at the same time because I was there oh, you're kidding. <laughs> yeah I was there <laughs> I was there like for a couple of months at the end of 2018 as well imagine if we passed each other on the street oh wow there you go yeah we might have, we might have. it's such a cool place isn't it I mean it's very cool f- for tech it's different it's... I mean the there's all these different sections of the city which are almost like completely different cultures yeah yeah, so you went over there for a couple of months, three months, mm-hmm. and I was actually listening to your chat with your partner on your podcast, which was so great because it just that <laughs> that opened up a whole other side of you and your background and, and hearing someone else's perspective and hearing his perspective as well of you know living <laughs> in a relationship well, with you're it. Basically, my like emotional business coach. Yeah. <laughs> every up and down in this business so yeah yeah I thought it was good to share it was, his insight. Oh, it was so good and what you were saying about when you're over there and you're on your own working on everything and you obviously live across two time zones as well and mm. you've got people you weren't sort of with him at that time so you didn't have you know balancing around a partner you just had you and so you kind of just work like you just work without no sleeping, just a child without yeah. a bedtime kind of thing. Seriously, th- I'm like a little kid. I don't yeah. know if, if Matt's not around to be like, okay, it's like 10.30 now, let's go to bed. Or if yeah. he's gone to bed, then I'm like very conscious that I'll be keeping him awake if I'm like in bed next to him on my phone or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, he acts as like a bit of a, he forces me to sleep 
And sleep is one of my favorite things in the world. So I don't know why I'm so resistant. To yeah. It. But I think, are you a late night, <clears throat> are you a creative, like you're obviously creative, but do you get ideas at night and you could technically, if he wasn't there and you, you would just work all night and get, get these ideas yeah. and keep going? I'm definitely, yeah, I'm a night owl for sure. Mm-hmm. So I'm most productive and like creative, I would say um, from about 8pm mm, onwards yeah. at night. Um, and if, but on the other hand as well, if I've had a good night's sleep, I'm pretty good in the morning. Yep. I just like dragging myself out of bed early, early. Mm. <laughs> it's mm. not my favorite thing. I'm definitely more a night owl than I am a morning person. Yeah. And I, I just love the, that, the feeling of being up late at night and just, I don't know, it's a magical feeling. I think I've got yeah. a, a couple of like no one distracts you. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and the ideas come. I know it, just writing until two a.m. I mean, you can't long term. It's not really it, you, no. you do kind of, especially <laughs> if you've got early mornings. I think when it's like daylight though, if it's a beautiful day and I'm in the morning and I'm working, I'm a bit annoyed that I'm not outside yeah. in nature. Yeah. Whereas at night, it's like I'm not. I don't feel like I'm missing out on a beautiful day or anything yeah. like that. I can relate to that, definitely. So in San Francisco, you tell me about what happened sort of towards the end of that. You were there for three months and then what what happened there and, and then what happened when you came back? Yeah, well, I mean, I went over there um, originally. I, I sort of applied for that landing pad. I was actually at a really boring seminar about taxation law because that's what I do with my spare time super fun um I went along to that because I was super interested as to how you know U.S. tax laws and stuff would um you know implicate Calabasaurus and Mm -hmm. stuff like that as a subscription business that operated globally so I was at one of those but it was very dry um and at the very end of that seminar um a Californian guy named Gabe got up on stage and he was talking about um, you know, and by the way, if you want to be operating in the States, Austrade have this program and that would be my recommendation because you're just set up with the contacts that you need and the springboards, you know, that you can bounce off if you need to ask any questions about the US. Mm. So while I was just sitting there, I applied for this program and I completely forgot that I had. And then two months later, I get an email going, congratulations, you've been successful. Like, we'll see you in San Francisco. Wow. (laughs) Hello. Okay. Like, let's do it. So um, I went over there with the headspace of, oh, you know, tech companies in San Francisco, there's so much money flying around. I'll be able to raise, you know, a couple million dollars for Calabasaurus and we can really skyrocket this business globally and launch into the US market properly. Um, because I, I mean, I'd spent probably about a year prior to that on and off trying to raise capital in Australia and just banging my head against the wall. Mm. And I thought, oh, the US is going to be so different. And I found the attitudes were very different. It was all very excitable and positive. You weren't sort of told why you can't do something. You're asked, you know, how can we make this happen type thing? It was just a different frame um, of conversation, which I found very exciting. But I quickly realized in San Francisco within my first few weeks that you can't just get a meeting with anyone. You can't just get a cold meeting. Even Mm. if you have a killer reach out email, it was all about the network and you had to get introduced. It had to be a warm introduction from someone um, that they, you know, really respected. So um, I shifted my attention. I was able to meet with a couple of investors, but they weren't the right stage of investor for me they were like a lot bigger or they weren't interested in my sector at all but I found it very interesting and then quickly kind of turned my attention to um, user acquisition because out of flipping nowhere Walmart signed up to <laughs> and it was one of those things where I mean we were totally not ready for Walmart like that's that's a huge huge yeah that's massive client And so they were giving us a go and I was run off my feet, pulled away from the investment conversations, but then also trying to balance that. Well, that's why I'm here and I need to hustle for that. And it costs so much money to just even be in San Francisco, which Mm. I'm sure you found when you were there as well. It's very expensive to stay and live there. You know, rent is a fortune and all of that kind of stuff. And our Australian dollar, we were all getting paid in Australian dollars still. So the conversion was not ideal. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was just sort of running a million miles now. I wasn't sleeping. I was trying to manage the two time zones. I thought I had set up 
sort of the Australian team to manage stuff without me. But I mean, at the time, there was a part-time customer success person um, and a part-time enterprise manager in Australia. So that's really all the support I had um, while I was overseas. And it wasn't, it wasn't enough to like the business couldn't run without me, basically. Yeah. So yeah, I was just running a million miles an hour, not sleeping. I was exhausted. Matt came over and visited me about halfway through the three months. And I mean, I was like a shell already. I was yeah. so tired. Um, but it was so good that he came because it forced me to just get into a sleeping pattern for two weeks, I would yeah. say. And then Sounds like um, he's very good for you. <laughs> yeah. So sleeping a, pattern, sleep. Yeah very important I yeah think. people underestimate the value of sleep um but yeah and then I, I mean I was just it was very emotional because when I came back from the states you know I'd been unsuccessful in raising capital and that was a big hit to my pride I yeah. think you know being told no by I think I counted I think it was like a hundred and 40 investors that I'd met with over the year and a half and this San Francisco trip was like this last ditch effort to really try and hustle a cap raise um it was I've always thought that you know I could do anything that I put my mind to and put the work towards and this was one of those things that I just couldn't achieve and I was so I don't know um what's the word I suppose my pride was just hit my ego had taken a huge hit from not being able to do that and I felt like I'd failed um myself and the business and it was just all a big complete failure and during that time because my focus was not on you know customer support and everything like that we'd lost a lot of subscribers and the platform wasn't where it needed to be and there was just a million things so Mm. by the time I came home um that was probably the most burnt out I've ever been I I was almost like comatose for two weeks it was Christmas and we went down south for a couple of weeks by the beach and I just could barely enjoy myself I was just sort of like sat needing needing to rest but like my body was still running a a million Mm. miles an hour and it was like oh my gosh this is not why I got into business you know I'm years into this business and I've not been able to pay myself you know what I was even paying myself as a junior in marketing and it's not, it's not working the way I want it to. And if it's not going to work by now, you know, it's not going to work kind of thing was Mm. my view on it. So I sort of started toying with the fact of what's it going to look like if I close the business and what does that mean for me? And, oh my gosh, I was petrified of going back and working a corporate job. I really didn't want to do that. And um, yeah, I was, there was a lot of fear around that. And that was like one of the biggest reasons I didn't want to close it. Um, and yeah, there was just something in my gut. I mean, how that all came around and it was probably about, it took six months, I think, to recover from, from all of that. And there were lots of chats and Matt was super helpful with all of that. Um, and there was one night where he was just like, okay, well, you know, if you're talking about closing the business, let's talk about what that looks like. And, um, what are you going to do when you close the business? And I just fully (laughs) broke down crying and it was like, whoa, I, I don't think I'd ever cried so hard. And it, actually the issue was is that I was so attached to Collabosaurus as a part of me mm. that I felt like if the business failed, I had failed. And I think that was really the core of the issue. Yeah. And then, you know, akin to that, I was worried about going back and working a corporate job. I remember Maddie saying, well, you have private clients who, you know, pay you retainers as it is that I was doing almost as a side business but I was putting all of that money into Collabosaurus. And he goes, if you closed Collabosaurus and worked just on your retainers, you'd earn enough, you know, to live and we're not going to be destitute. Yeah. Like, calm down. It's going to be fine. And I think it was just that realisation that it was like, oh, just because I can't do Collabosaurus doesn't mean I can't do what I want to do. You know, it it it, it doesn't mean I ha- that the only option is to go back working corporate. You know, it was just sort of breaking that down and understanding that and that was really really helpful and sort of over time bit by bit I just sort of listened to my gut and my body and my gut was telling me no there's still I had this little spark of an idea for this feature that I'd gotten in San Francisco by sitting next to um, one of the heads of marketing at Gap Mm -hmm. and she was telling me about their frustrations around partnerships and how they have so many opportunities that they have to go through every single week it was like 150 pitches every week from 
you know, brands Instagram DMing them, LinkedIn messaging them, emailing their customer support, pitching things forward. And it was someone's full-time job to figure out what was going to be valuable, who wanted what exactly, what was the creative idea, all of that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh, like we have an algorithm that already match makes brands together. Like surely we can reverse that. So um, any incoming pitches, those 150 that you would receive every week, get automatically put through this algorithm and ranked based on what's actually valuable to you. And then that saves someone 80% of their time. <laughs> yeah. Full-time job and they can actually focus on making the collabs that are of interest really great. So that was the idea. It was this idea for a thing called the pitch portal, which um, I had no money left to build. And I mean, I maxed out a credit card to get it <laughs> built because I just, I really wanted to give it a try. And I knew I would kick myself if I didn't try it. Um, and then ASOS signed up out of the blue because of that feature and yeah, the rest is history. That was the game changing thing for the business. Wow. It's like you just rattle it off, you know, in however many minutes, but that that's like years of determination and that grit of, even if it was like 1% of a tiny little glimmer of a of a blown out match that has one ember in the distance like it it was still there in you and you knew that you couldn't let it go and so that's really it's really inspiring and so now you've got (laughs) yeah it's like kudos to you that's really amazing yeah and what just iteration over time as well of course move and change yeah yeah and I think you know the the thing with this is why I love hearing backstories because we see yeah, like, you know, B&T, 30 under 30, like that's amazing and award and you've done so many, you know, talks and people see you and they see Collabosaurus now as this amazing, successful company, which it is, but it's not, it's it's like it wasn't like an overnight thing. Like you. Oh, absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> no. I mean, I'm glad, I'm glad everything happened the way it did though. I mean, looking back in hindsight, I wouldn't change anything because if I had raised capital in 2017, I would have spent the money poorly. You know, I I wouldn't have invested it where it needed to be invested. Whereas, you know, I've learned hard lessons being backed into corners financially and having to find creative ways to get out of those corners. And I think that's probably some of the most valuable lessons in business. And I think you know, should I raise capital now, I'd know exactly where to spend it. And I know exactly how it would pan out. And I would be so confident I like wouldn't lose anyone's money. <laughs> yeah. Because you know, the value of a, of a dollar of like raising $1 exactly. even. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of people that I've talked to with, you know, and even myself, like when you're launching something, there's this false perception that everyone has everything lined up. And I think a lot of people are winging it when they launch something and they don't have everything all lined up. What do you think the balance is between that feeling of imposter syndrome and having like no idea what you're doing and feeling just second guessing yourself, but then also knowing that your gut is leading you and going, I might not know everything, but my gut is telling me I have to do this. I was born for this. I have to do it. I mean, self-doubt is a huge thing. Anyone who runs a business has come up against that. I've, I come up against it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I think it's definitely a misconception that anyone has it all together. I think there's an element of winging it in absolutely everything mm. <laughs> that we do. Um, launches are no exception. In fact, often things will pop up that you didn't even, you couldn't have planned for. You know, it's impossible to plan for every little thing. And I think if you strive for perfection, um, you miss the boat often because you're spending too long, you know, um, obsessing over the little details. It's like if if I hadn't launched when I launched with Collabosaurus and I'd spent so much time building the perfect thing, which was perfect in my mind at the time, I would have spent so much more money and time building a platform for a target market that was never going to actually buy from me. So I think be a bit scrappy at the beginning. That is some advice I'm so happy to give to anybody who wants to launch a business. It's like be mm. scrappy. Australia is a fantastic market to launch every anything because we're really forgiving. We're a forgiving market. It's The US is not so forgiving, I would say. Mm. We're a forgiving market and we're very loyal um, and we love the underdog. So mm-hmm. if you're giving something a go, 
it's a just build it scrappily build like the mvp version of that thing that you're building first um to to test it test behaviors with the market see who actually buys it and then you know ask them a million questions and then they'll be your fans for life Mm. you know some of my um, best clients were clients that signed up with Collabosaurus when it was a WordPress site <laughs> in 2015. We actually just signed a big client this week who, when I was on the phone to him, he goes, oh my gosh, I actually heard about Collabosaurus in 2014. And I said, you've wow. got to be joking. Like, I think it was just a Facebook page in 2014. Yeah. That's but amazing. he's remembered that. And now he's like one of our largest clients. So it's things come full circle you know, don't be afraid to be scrappy and everyone's winging it. Mm-hmm. And if you feel like there's a huge hole in your knowledge or, uh, you know, you're really worried about a certain thing, invest the money in upskilling in that or hire someone, like even a consultant for a one-off session where you can just fire questions at them and put your mind at ease that you actually know more than you think you do, I think. Yeah. It's interesting how we think we don't know as much as we do. And when you add up everything, sometimes it's partnering with a mentor or something like that. You come out of those sessions with just the reminder of someone else who's further along than you, reminding you of all these great things about yourself and all the skill sets you you do have. Who would you say you've had along the way as your greatest mentors and encouragers? Oh, there's so many people, there's different <laughs> people to mention. You know, I think there's different people at different stages and they yeah. all have very different um, expertise. I love surrounding myself with people who have expertise in very different things. So mm. I don't ever lean on one person for every little bit of support that I would need. I mean, Matt is such an emotional rock for me. I mean, he probably couldn't tell you what Calabasaurus does, but he has been such a rock and has helped me through so many challenges when it comes to staff and all of that kind of stuff. And then, you know, I've got friends who um, run businesses with a staff of 300 and, you know, I can lean on them for certain questions. And then I've got friends who run um, mobile apps and then I've got, you know, web product questions for them and, all that kind of stuff. I think I've got different people in my life for lots of different things. So I wouldn't say there's any, you know, one person that has been the be all end all for mentorship. I seek mentorship pretty much everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) And I think just being, it's that, um, not that it's scrappy, but it's like not having just this one person that you look to, it's, it's saying, well, I'm doing all these things. And so having, it's, it's sometimes, yeah, it's out of the box almost, isn't it? Mentorship sometimes. Absolutely. And I think really the skill is understanding where you really need help. You know, it like I, I'm in a mentorship group where um, we meet every month and talk about challenges. And um, there was one person in that group who was saying, oh, you know, I really need help with finances. And then the more we started talking, it was like, actually, is it a financial problem or is it that, you know, is it a your time problem? You know, mm. it's actually a bit of a different thing. So Mentors can really draw stuff out of you, I think, that um, can be really helpful. And sometimes even just hearing yourself speak <laughs> can be very valuable. I mean, I know it is for me. My yeah. best form of therapy is just like talking. Yep. As you can probably tell, I've nonstop talked through this entire I love it. That's why we're doing this. <laughs> it's like verbal processing too. You realize and then you talk and yeah. then you're like, actually, I've helped myself here. Thanks. It's excellent. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. That's what it's called. There you go. I'll reference that from now on. <laughs> Verbal processing. Yeah. Um, so the power of collaboration, many people are, are learning this now. And I was just thinking about your the way that you you love bringing people together. Do you feel a sense of pride towards the, your clients and when you see them coming together, two individual people and the stories and when they come together and they've created something really beautiful? I was just thinking like maybe – you might feel like a school teacher or something, like you've got these students and they're all, and you're like, oh, good job. Yes, go into the world and fly kind of thing. I don't know. How do you feel about when you see something really beautiful that's been created? I'm so stoked. I love when the platform has done its job and has match made really great brands together. It makes mm. me so happy. My biggest um, annoyance, I would say, is that we work with seven and a half thousand brands <laughs> now. And so I'm not across every single one that comes about but when I'm on um, Instagram for example and like a post pops up that I'm like oh my gosh they're both clients and I know they're both clients and they've connected on Clavisaurus it just it makes me so happy 
Yeah. yeah, it's just that sense of what you're doing to help others and then that the flow-on effect as well of seeing them successful and you know that they're often small businesses as well and you've been there and so it's like this oh, yeah. beautiful journey of... Well, um, some collabs I've done over the years, have, have they've been game-changing for the business. Like mm. I know how valuable they can be when they're done well. So, yeah, it's it's extra special seeing mm. clients do it. Yeah. Now this question that I um, I like to ask people... It's, it's kind of a question that we've heard many times before, but it's like, you know, you're at the end of your life and think about the things that maybe you'd be sad or feel regretful if you hadn't done. And when people say, oh, I don't know what risk, you know, is for me, and that's usually, it, it can be a way to get people to be like, oh my gosh, I, I really want to do that, but I'm a bit afraid. What, would there be things still on your list that you... Well, obviously you're a big dreamer, so you probably have many things on your list, but is there anything that you can share that you that you still have, like these big dreams that you want to see happen in the years to come? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's still, I feel like I've only sort of covered off a little fraction of what I want to do ultimately with Calabasaurus. I really see it being a big global business that can facilitate connections internationally. Mm. I think for, especially coming from Australia, you know, we're big traveling country but we're also very globally minded when it comes to launching businesses and things like that but setting up partnerships right now is quite strenuous you kind of need to network and go over there fly over there stay there like we did in San Francisco for a while meet people Mm. and all of that kind of stuff before you can start setting up partnerships where I see there's such an opportunity to wake up in the morning and go you know what I'd love some clients in LA Mm. and you can hop on Calabasaurus and in five minutes you can match make with a brand whose target market's in LA and they want to reach in a (laughs) Sydney-based target market and it's very win-win so I see that as a huge opportunity but I think from a regret standpoint I think regrets are a little bit of a waste of time I Mm. think you shouldn't live your life regretting past decisions I think but a really good way to do that is to follow what lights you up like do the work that lights you up and right now I mean we were talking just before we started recording in the Christmas break I had an idea for a a product-based business that Mm -hmm. I've been working away on and I just did that because I followed what excited me and I was like oh this is fun and you know it'll be a fun project and I think you know we spend so much of our lives working that if we can combine work and passion it's just such a privilege and lucky thing that we've been able to um, tap into so I think if you can do it (laughs) follow what you're interested in yeah and that's what I said years ago when I quit my job and just started kind of following my heart more I was like what would I do for free like what do I not even need what would I do if I wasn't ever getting paid for it if I had 500 million in the bank And that's kind of the sign, isn't it? It's like being childlike and kids don't think about that. They just do what they love. And so I think fun, joy, what you said, what lights us up inside, that's the clue. Mm. That's the clue to what we want to do. And I think more and more as we sort of start allowing ourselves to do that because often it takes permission, doesn't it, to be like, I can can have fun. Like I've been working a lot and now – and then – creativity comes out of rest often anyway totally and I think as well I mean it sounds like I think for I know that if I was in my shoes 15 years ago listening to this podcast (laughs) I would think oh but you know you just have money so you can follow your passions and it's like no that's not the case at Mm. all I mean this business like I didn't have cash to splash on starting this other business but Mm. you can do heaps with very very little and I think when you do start um, following things that you're passionate about money does come and you work it out if you, you can you can make it work around what you're doing because um, you got you're like building a fulfilling life as you go, I think. But I mean, this this little side business that I've been building, it's cost me max like oh, eight hundred dollars, I reckon, to mm. launch the entire thing. Wow! <laughs> and that's just from like savings that I was like, oh, this could be fun, you know. And so, really, that's a very inexpensive business yeah. <laughs> launch that is Definitely. like investing in a passion, really. Yeah. And so what would your advice be to, we've got these risks that we want to take and sometimes it's a tiny baby step that we need to take or sometimes it's bigger, I, I guess, taking the pressure off to start. But what would be, you know, something you would you would suggest as a good starting point for someone who 
is a bit risk averse but has a passion in their heart that they're kind of maybe a little bit afraid to move on? I mean, I love doing a big vision board. I'm very visual. So I would create a Pinterest board of what you want your life to look like 10 years from now. And then you can work kind of backwards from there. I think sometimes things are really big and overwhelming and scary because you haven't broken them down into minuscule little steps. Mm. You know, sometimes it's as easy as register a domain name. And if that's all you do today, that's a step towards, that's still moving forward, you know? So um, I don't know, like definitely take little steps and also take away that stigma around it has to be perfect when you launch it. Absolutely not. If you speak to any Mm. successful business owner, they're embarrassed of their first (laughs) release and their first product 100% all the time. So I think (laughs) there's nothing to be afraid of and it's just use it as an opportunity to learn. Don't think that you have to launch this perfect thing into the world and everyone has to love it straight away. It's like people didn't love Calabasaurus until like two and a half years in, I would say. Mm. (laughs) It's a pretty crappy product before then. But I was working, you know, overtime building relationships with people and getting feedback from people and use it as like a learning exercise rather than a all this pressure is on me to release this perfect thing. So yeah. be scrappy. Yeah. And what we also were talking about before we started you know, this chat was the pressure that we put on ourselves too with, um, you know, raising this massive bar and, and you know, the pressure of, of being at a 10, launching at a 10 or having an idea and it being at a 10, whereas if we, I don't know, had it, had it at a five, everyone, you know, it's like no one's... <laughs> No, the whole world is not well, just sitting version here. Of 10? Exactly. That's the thing. It's like your idea of 10 is going to be a very different idea of 10 than what, you know, a potential customer who's never worked with you before. Totally. It really has an idea of. So yeah, yeah, we set, we set unrealistic expectations on ourselves. I think a lot of the time. Mm. Yeah. And just learning to be kinder to ourselves too. That's just the ongoing journey, isn't it? And treating ourselves like we would treat other people. <laughs> just encouraging ourselves yeah yes oh this has been really amazing I feel very (laughs) thankful (laughs) I love hearing the the points along the timeline of of people's lives and yeah your story has been so inspiring and yes we can't wait to watch and cheer you on as you as you launch more great things to come so collabasaurus.com that's the best way that we can I'll put it all in the show notes as well, obviously all the information, but if people want to find out more about you, is that the best way? Yes, please come find me, Calabasaurus.com and then any of the social media platforms where at Calabasaurus or if you want to connect with me personally, LinkedIn's a good place. Um, Jessica Rufus with that pesky H in the middle of Rufus. <laughs> I know whenever I write your name, not that I write it all the time, I've been writing it for 10 years. No, I always go, did I get the F and the H around the right way? you've nailed it you've nailed it it's a hard one to get right (laughs) no you makes you stand out more well thank you so much and um all the best for everything you're working on right now thank you so much nat thanks so much for having me pleasure thank you for listening to this episode of the risk takers podcast please share this with as many people as you can and if you loved it please give us a five-star rating so more people can be encouraged i would love to add you to our risk list so let me know when you take your first step hashtag one million risks and send me an email via natbox.com.au so we can all cheer each other on and whatever you're facing right now just know that you're not alone you're braver and more courageous than you think i'll see you next time love you